Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Overtime. Overtime is our weekly podcast where we get to do a little bit deeper dive into the weekend message. We're so glad that you're joining us. I'm Ben, that's Josh, and we are going to be here for the next hour, pretty excited about discussing the message as we're continuing the I'm In series. As always, one of the things that we like to do is let you know some of the things that are happening in and around the church. So two kind of announcements this week. The first is that we want to encourage you to check out our third Thursday vision video. So that is this coming Thursday. That would be on May 20th. Check that out. That video goes live at 8 p.m. with last week's kind of conversation or the kind of change in um, suggestions by the CDC. That brings a lot of change actually here for the church as well. So we're going to be talking all about that on Thursday. So tune in if you've got questions. If you can't watch it live on our website, clcfamily.church, there's a watch live tab. You can click that. If you can't watch it live, it'll be on there on demand as soon as that that's pretty much done. So if you go to clcfamily.church slash vision, you can watch that on demand anytime after Thursday. So we want to point you to that because you probably have a lot of questions. I know that Sunday, as many people came in from outside or were questioning kind of, do I wear my mask? Do I not wear my mask? I've got the vaccine. What, what needs to happen? We want to try and answer all of those questions and kind of communicate where we're going as a church come this Thursday. So definitely check that out. The other thing that I want to let you know is that on the 28th of May, which is the Friday of that Memorial Day weekend, we are kicking off our fourth So not Friday this upcoming quiz. Friday, but next Friday. That's right. right. So it's basically two weeks. Um, on the 28th of May, we are going to be doing a double feature kicking off our fourth Friday flicks. This is something that we'll run from May through at least September, maybe even October, depending on the weather. Um, and we are excited for it. The double feature that we're going to be showing, I think I can communicate it here yeah. um, uh, because this is an internal communication. So we're going to be watching the 530 showing. The first feature is going to be the movie Max 2014 or 2015. I'm getting those confused. Um, family friendly. Come on out. It's kind of an action adventure, a little bit of a drama in there. But um, as we're looking at Memorial Day, we wanted to kind of be mindful of the people that have given their lives for it. And then the 7.30 showing, which is not as family friendly, it's rated PG-13, is the movie Unbroken. It's the story of Louis Zemperini, um, which I think is a phenomenal movie. It's a phenomenal book if you haven't read the book Unbroken. But those are kind of the videos that we're going to be doing for this, this launch of our, or re-kicking off our fourth Friday flick. So we would love for you to be a part of that. If you have questions, you can email me directly, ben at clcfamily.church. And we hope to see you there. So that's kind of the announcement side of things. Yep. Um, Third Thursday vision, yep. fourth Friday flicks. It's coming. And so yeah. time to lean in. And you'll hear more about ways you can lean in this week and next week at our church. Because that's what we're doing right now. We're in a series yeah. called I'm In. And I'm In is all about just that. How do you burn with a white hot faith? You don't do it alone. And so... Uh, what we've been looking at is there's a way to really help a fire burn br bright and hot, and there's a way to kind of put it out. And mm -hmm. it has everything to do with the placement of the coals, right? You wanna you wanna have a fire burn out, you take the coals and you separate them. If you want it to burn hot, you put them all in together and kind of pile them up on top of each other. We've been in a year where it certainly seems like we have uh, been separated, and many of you have been burnt out. So how do we re-engage with all this? And so that's what we've been trying to sort through while also reading through the Gospel of Luke. So we're in like week 46 or 45 of the Gospel, actually maybe even further, uh, of the Gospel of Luke where we're just going each and every week, open the Bible and going, God, Luke writes this so that we can have certainty of the things we've been taught about you. And so we've been trying to learn and see what Jesus has actually been teaching us about himself. And what we do know is all about the kingdom of God. And so what we've been trying to figure out is how do we live in the kingdom of God now, not later, but now, right here in the here and now, because that's what God came to do through his son Jesus to establish heaven on earth. So you can actually experience it and you can live life as Jesus is living through you because he actually is. And mm -hmm. so I've been challenging you each and every week to kind of consider how do you lean fully in and what I told you this past week is that kind of the big idea which is pretty simple and yet very complex that today's the day that the kingdom of God gets to, is set to advance in you and through you like today of all days of all days you can lean in and do that so we were in um, Luke chapter 9 and we read through yeah, 51 through 62 and we'll cover those today but what we saw here was Jesus finally gets going on his mission, right? So it actually literally says in 51, he says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem, meaning he got focused on his mission for this earth, what he was going to do. And I'd say, 
it's time for us to set our face towards Jerusalem. And I don't mean politically. I don't even mean with what's going on there. I'm talking about set our face towards his purposes for us and his purpose for us. It's really, really simple. Jesus actually taught us to pray this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done where on earth as it is in heaven. So how do we do this? And so we saw Jesus actually talk to some folks. And what he did is he revealed in these folks uh, some things that we have put before Jesus. And one of the, the things that we looked at is uh, a lot of us put our tribe or our identity, you know, um, uh, over Jesus. A lot of us put our security over Jesus. A lot of us put our comfort over Jesus. And many, many, many of us put our past that we can't quite get free from over Jesus. And so I have a feeling we'll get to talk about all those today. And with the challenge that you put Jesus before all, and above all, because as I told you Sunday, because he's worth it all. Mm. And the only way you're ever going to experience that, the only way you're ever going to experience the joy that you're looking for is actually by placing Jesus at the center of all things because he is where joy comes from, right? And I, I, the Bible says, for all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. And you're going to go, well, who gave you that heart? And what did he do with it? He gave it to you so you can love him with all of it. So it's time for us to get uh, that figured out. And we have two more weeks in this series. Well, we'll put some real tangible feet to it for you. But today we get to deal with these things that we put over. The way I told call it to you is I kind of told you about, uh, see, uh, sorry, St. Augustine's uh, words from, you know, hundreds and hundreds, more than a thousand, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago where he talks about how we disorder our loves. And what he challenges us is is that we put second things, things that we shouldn't yeah. love. Like we love comfort. We love security. We love our family. We love all those things. But when those things that we should love, the second things, when we make them first things, that's where all the chaos happens. Mm-hmm. And many of us, if we're just honest, have put those things. I told you, tribe, identity, comfort, security, our past, the second things over and put them as first things. That's where the chaos ensues. So the challenge for you is to reorder your loves uh, this past weekend, and hopefully today we can help you do that. Yeah, so we do have a, a question that I want to get to. Yeah, yeah. We'll probably get to that in, in um, well, we can, let's go ahead and start with that. Okay. So we'll, we'll just go to that, that first question. Um, actually, I have to pull up that question. I was looking at the wrong one. So let's let's get to that as we get to it within the scripture. So let's okay. just kind of jump into this. One of the things that you had said on Sunday, and I might not have written it down the way that you emphasized it, but um, the big idea of the, the message on Sunday was that, the, that today is the day that the kingdom of God wants to advance in you. And you emphasize today, not next week, yeah. not tomorrow, not... Well, why such a heavy emphasis on today? Because that's what the Bible emphasizes, right? Yeah. And so there's actually... Some real scholarly opinions, even within our church, but definitely in the world, that argues that Hebrew culture and even how the Bible is written had very little to do with the future and everything to do with the present, mm. right? It had everything to do with what Jesus came to usher in that day. Like, even that there is some interpretations of the, the, the book of Revelation that it's not always just this something about the future. That when Jesus says, Behold, I come and stand in the door to knock, and if you'll enter, if you let me enter, I'll enter and dine with you, right? That's that's to a specific church at a specific moment in history. While we say it's both timely and timeless, meaning it was very specific to them, God knew it would be just as specific to us. But when you read the scriptures, it had everything to do with the here and now and the present. And so one of the things that we get really confusing as we find great solace that one day things will get better out there in eternity. But a lot of us have just resigned ourselves to the fact that the kingdom isn't something we get to experience here and now. And Jesus is going, repent. I change what you think because the kingdom of God is at hand, at hand. That means in the present. And so we, uh, so the reason I want to highlight the word today is because when Jesus engaged with the Samaritans, which are Samaritans, which we saw, when Jesus yeah. engaged with them, he was engaging with them in that moment, not at some promise for the future. Jesus was present and available to them. Then, meaning the kingdom of God is right in front of them. And they go, oh, nope, you, you want to go to Jerusalem. We're not interested in that. Mm-hmm. And so they missed out on the kingdom of God. And so the reason I want to say today is because you get to experience the kingdom of God today. And candidly, really don't want you to miss out on it. So when I read the scriptures, it certainly seems to imply that a lot of this is present tense, both for the you know Israelites and for the Jews and for the Gentiles and for us 2,000 years later, that today we're supposed to harness and be captivated by and enthralled with the kingdom of God and participate in it now. So the kingdom of God is set to advance through you now. If you, one of the things I would I tell people all the time, you know, 
two questions that always came up in student ministry. The first one was, how far is too far? Yeah. Right? Like, just show me the line of what a, how, how what close can I, I can get with a boyfriend and girlfriend. Right? Like, yeah. just show me, like, show me that line. And let me, can you give me some people like in a harness so I can hover over it as far as possible? For some reason, that was one of the big questions. The second one was, how do I know God's will? Yeah. And they were saying, what they're saying when they're asking that is, what job should I do? Right. Who should I marry? And I'd always go, whoa, 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 whoa. The, the kingdom of God isn't something that you're looking forward to later. Like God's will has nothing to do with your future. and has everything to do with your present. Now, yeah. here's the good news. If you take the next right step with him in your present, guess what that means? When you get to your future, guess where you'll be? In God's will. And guess what God's will is? The kingdom of God. But you can start living in God's will today and not continue to make excuses that it will be in the future. And that's why we talked about the late obedience, partial obedience. It's just disobedience because Jesus wants you to get to participate in it now. You made a statement on Sunday that taken out of context, it sounds like, ooh, I'm not sure if I agree with that. But but when we understand what you're yeah. talking about, you said God's will is not about the future, but today. Yeah. And it's and it's not that he's not about the future, but he's more concerned about today. Mm-hmm. And if you take today, it becomes the future, right? Yeah. Like eventually these choices, one day it will become the present, right? Like, yeah, so you think about this, and we always think, you know, I don't know, I think it's Stephen Furtick. I heard him preach a sermon. It's been 12 years ago, probably. Okay. Now. And he talked about the Israelites, and he talked about there's a promise and there's a payoff, right? Yeah. That there was a promise and one day there'd be a, payoff but long between the promise and the payoff there is a, the process yeah. the way Sounds that like I would the way that I would say it, it's a little different I would say you know there's this, this foreshadowing mm. so there is a foreshadowing of the thing that is going to come yeah and there will be a fulfillment of that right. so yes right. but right in the here and now there's the frustration of the yeah. weed you see this I can't like imagine a seed being planted and you see the pretty flowers but there is work to be done to experience the flowers and the kingdom of God it's all about doing the, the right thing plowing the right land at the right time going the right direction and so while we have to set our eyes that means the future of where we're walking what we really need to pay attention to is what is our very next step with God and, yeah. he, and you know the scriptures even say you know man kind of creates their own path like we have these big things and that's why you know like some of you buried your goals in your backyard you know for 10 or 15 years ago and we all had all this goal setting and i'm not against goal setting but the fact that we hold so tightly to that and it's like ah it's not really about the goals it's about the process Mm -hmm. because that's where god shows up god is available today so i just was so consumed as a teenager with becoming an adult i just wanted to be an adult i just wanted to get there that i lost sight of what it was like to kind of live in the kingdom as a 12 year old a 14 year old a 16 year old i just needed to get to an adult and guess what happened when i got to an adult it wasn't near what i thought it would be right what nearest fulfilling is i just assumed it was marriage kids jobs weren't nearest fulfilling and so i put all my hope in the future and jesus is going ah oh, no 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 it's available to you today so that's what i want for you that's what i want for me that's definitely what i want for my kids so how do we do that well we have to kind of slay some idols and make second things second things again i want to jump into the text so as we look at this we're towards the end of luke chapter 9 and we're going to start in 51 through 56 um and here is this kind of Weird story, fun story, because you see Peter kind of like, wow, there's another moment where we get to make fun of Peter, right? right. Like we get to kind of poke and, and kind of wonder what is going on there. But uh, uh, as you already said, this is kind of how it starts. It says, when the day, days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent members ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face... Um, did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Is there anything more? Like we talked about kind of the Samaritans and the Jews not seeing yeah. eye to eye. Like, so this is geographical and you got to understand that. And so when you when he says he set his face towards Jerusalem, it's like, oh, that sounds so profound. No, like he literally decided that was the direction he was about to go. I mean, like literally this is this is very practical. He's going to Jerusalem. That's the, that's the mother city of the Jews who had lost sight of the coming king, and instead got caught up in the rituals and legalistic yeah. rule uh, rule following, right? And so, so but when it, one of the things that Andy Stanley says, and it, it really is brilliant, he says direction, yeah. not intention, determines your destination, yeah. right? Like, so there is something about going. Like, if I were to right now go, I'm going to go to Florida, I'm going to go to Florida, that's the plan. We're going on vacation to Florida, right? Like, okay, pack up. We're going to go to Florida for, for vacation. And then I get my kids, load them up, and hop in the car and get on interstate 95 and go north yeah. no matter how much my intentions are going i'm going to florida my yeah. direction is definitely 
leading us a different direction. And that's what's so beautiful about Jesus is his his intentions and his directions were completely aligned. And so for us, a lot of times, our directions, our intentions aren't. So we got to go, i got to just do the next right thing. I want to face my face the right way and take just the very next right step. And so for many of us, that's just the thing. We just do that. And so what Jesus does is he sets his eyes towards Jerusalem. And it kind of seems like he's going, I'm going the most direct route. Now, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly he's going to encounter. But he decides to go due south as the crow flies and between Jerusalem and Galilee where he is is the Samaritans which is a group of people that the Jews including the disciples that were with Jesus hated yeah. right they would have called them half breeds and right. you know they would have considered them ancestral and all the things that you know you make fun of other states about or whatever it is like they they literally this is I was joking this morning about with some friends about University of Florida and I'm like I will disown my kids if they <laughs> go there because I just grew up hating them but it's kind of like in jest I mean, yeah. I they wear jean shorts you know like oh, I wear jean shorts yeah. that's that's really the jab there well no Florida is known for their jorts but yeah Ben wears them too it's kind of so strange uh, but anyway I don't want my kid to do that I'm not, but those are those are those are that's jokingly yeah. I mean I would probably let our kid come back and stay in our house in the summer <laughs> probably you know, I mean I, I, it'd I, be long discussion they would have to shake a lot of dust off themselves yeah. <laughs> first right and so but that is different I mean this is pure hatred it is Palestinian Jew hatred yeah, right? right so yeah. it's kind of looking I was like yep there, there's those locations what yeah. in the world has been going on for so long and so Jesus is actually going to deal with this hatred and the way he's going to do it is he's going to set his eyes towards Jerusalem but he's going to go the very direct path and there is nothing that's going to stand in his way and so he goes through Sumerians and people um, engage with him and they're looking for something he's not willing to offer him right there's these competing temples the temple in Jerusalem the temple yeah. in Samaria no this is where God resides no this is where God resides we got more spirit we got more spirit Yes, we do. You know, like just this weird battle. And so Jesus is going through it. And as he does, he's going to encounter some people. And like as a guy who's really broken and not a Jew, right? Mm-hmm. So like I'm so thankful that God welcomed in the Gentiles like yeah. me, right? The pagans like me. And so you see this moment like, oh, there it is. God is going to make himself known. Jesus is going to make himself known to the outsiders, right? It's just so yeah. beautiful. And then he gets to the outsiders and... They said they wouldn't receive him, right? Why? Because he had his sights towards his mission. And there's a lot of people who have a way that they want to take Jesus and invite him to make their kingdom better. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jesus, you can come into my kingdom. You can come into my world. You can make me feel better about my identity. You can make me feel better about my sexuality. You can make me feel better about my marriage. You can make me feel better about my political ideology. You can help me get the votes because I will say you and I align on the right or the left, right? Mm-hmm. All these different things. And what's really interesting about this, and we all do it. We all do it. It's, uh, for many of us, it's a lot more covert than over. But we're actually inviting Jesus in to our issues. Many of us became Christians because we prayed a prayer because we thought it would fix our marriage or save our finances or get us a job or keep us from being homeless. And for some of us, we had that experience. But then we started to experience other things. We're like, whoa, 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 I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to serve people who spit on me. I didn't sign up for to actually trust God with my finances or with my children. Like, And so you see this in this moment. And what you see is Jesus sets his eyes on Jerusalem. He encounters the Samaritans and they're going, Jesus, if you want to be a part of our club, you're welcome to be in our club, but we're not really yeah. interested in you being the club president. Yeah. Right? You want to come in? We'll be happy to talk about you and say you're one of us and that you give us your endorsement. But Jesus wasn't there to give an endorsement. Jesus yeah. wasn't there to make them happy. He was there to save them. And it's just sad they missed it. But it's not like with judgment towards them. It's actually just with deep sadness and going, man, how many times did I miss Jesus? And so what I certainly hope is that for many of us, we've missed him along the way. And it's like, i got to just trust that somehow in these missionary journeys after Jesus' death and resurrection, after the mess happens in, in Jerusalem and they start to scatter, that people enter back into Samaria and they point back to this guy who said he was God, who set his eyes on Jerusalem, then was murdered for it, and then came back to life. So I certainly hope that happens. But in this passage... They miss him. I'm curious. So 52, it says, and he sent messengers ahead of him who had entered the village of Samaria to make preparations for him. Does that mean that he was like staying overnight or like, but his face, because he was looking towards Jerusalem, is that 
I guess I'm curious as to what that means. And then also a second question was you described, and I think you just explained it, but I'm curious for you to, you said that the Samaritans had Mr. Potato Head faith. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious what you meant by that. Yeah, so what's really interesting is this is, I mean, this is really practical. So, I mean, the best example that I can give to you now is the caravans that go up from Guatemala up into Mexico heading to the U.S. border, right? It's just a large group of people moving. And where they move, they ravage a city, right? Yeah. They deplete it of its resources. It's just most of these large, you know, mob, I, I mean, it not in a, like a pejorative, just large group of people, they demand a lot of resources. Yeah. And so Jesus, look, we know, we're actually going to learn it this week. He's going to send out the 72, meaning the 12 had found, you know, another 60 yeah. that are following him. We know there's others like Mary Magdalene and others who are following. Yeah. We know that Herod's wife, uh, Herod's, house manager's wife is right here in the middle of this mix. So there's some some pretty important people in this, and they're all falling. So we can guess at 80 to 100 people. What do you put at 80 to 100 people? Like, think about 80 to 100 people just showing up in your neighborhood. What do you do with it? And you have tons of resources and tons of square footage. Now imagine a a town about the size of your neighborhood or smaller, much smaller than my neighborhood at 110 or 120 homes, right? All these people show up. What do you do with them, right? You shut your blinds, you lock your doors. That's what you do, right? And so these messengers are going ahead of time to go, there are real practical needs. These are real people. Yeah. Over and over again in the scriptures, it is so profound. It said that Jesus was hungry or Jesus was thirsty. Like literally when he meets the woman at the well, it's because he was thirsty. That's what initiated that God literally gave himself complete humanity. He calls himself son of man. He mm-hmm. invites himself into our tribe, not so that we could have him do our things so that we could be invited back into his tribe, right? And so you see these things. And so this is very practical that you see the humanity of who who Jesus is and you see the obstacles that are in the way. And a lot of those obstacles are hunger and basic needs like shelter and water. So we know that as the kingdom of God was advancing, we know that those basic needs are being met. So you see these messengers go ahead and go, Jesus is coming. We got to prepare and meet the needs. Now I would just say the same thing for us, right? Jesus is coming. He's going to make himself known. We got to prepare for the people that he's going to bring to our church and bring to our community. We got to meet their needs. And that's why you got to show up this week because it literally says, Jesus tells us the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so what's the solution to that? More workers, right? And so he's sending him. So it's just very practical going, hey, God is sending me ahead to prepare you for what he has prepared for you. No, so that's the piece there, right? Now, the thing about the Mr. Potato Head thing is what was really interesting is it just it just was a Jewish orthodoxy with multiple tangents, okay. right? So they would say, yeah, we believe God is creator, but we also believe he came to serve okay. us. So God wants so me to be happy, right? Okay. So God wants me to be happy. And well, we, and, you know, in Jewish orthodoxy, hey, we believe that we should focus on family and stay within the family unit and stay within the race, right? Okay. And these folks are like, we don't care. We don't even care if you get married. Have your kids eat, drink, and be married. And one of the things I did kind of point out is one of the things that we always say is don't do sin because it's not fun. It's bad for you, and eventually it will be. But the reality is the reason people do sin is because it is fun, yeah. right? And so you have these guys who are, you know, big shape, Mr. Potato Head, and we're like, we'll take Jesus for our, or we'll take God for our eternity, and we'll take, you know, the pagan mother of the sun for Mm -hmm. our, you know, agriculture, and we'll take Poseidon for our water supply, and we'll take pleasure for our purposes, right? So so the Jews are looking and going, where are you getting all this stuff? You're just like, you're like picking and choosing. You give them this eyebrows and these lips, and you're going, like in here. You got all these different things. And so the Jews were angry because, one, they were diluting their orthodoxy. And, two, they were having a lot of fun doing it, you know. And so, of course, they're angry. Of course, you got these guys who literally left everything, everything to follow Jesus, which meant every single day their stomach growls. And every single day they're going, I hope Jesus comes through for us. And these other guys didn't have any of that, right? They're just like, yeah, big deal. I'll do what I want to. So, anyway. So I want to continue on. So okay. 54 and 55. Well, let me just go through 56. So 54. The, so they didn't receive him because his face was towards Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. It says, that, and then his disciples, James and John, these are the two that were on the mountain. At, just saw transfiguration. transfiguration. Yep. Right. Like James and Saul saw it. They said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Uh, like, first of all, I'm curious. Like, did they believe that they could do that or they were just seeking permission like no 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 no, no. so first of all they they have enough swag to think they can yeah so you gotta remember a couple months previous they've been sent out 
We don't know how long, but yeah. they've been sent out and with the authority that Jesus right. could tell right. them to speak right. and bring healing to people and exercise demons out of people. So these guys have walked in some authority. So they got that swagger. Yeah. When they come back, there's this demon-possessed boy, but they were up with Jesus. So yeah. like, if yeah, they would have asked true. us, we could have told them, right? It's, it's you little minions. It's not the ones who see Jesus in all of his glory. Because Jesus showed us all of his glory. We're his favorite. Yeah. Does mean we have his power? So he's wa- they're walking in this. This thing, and so that's right. You can ask the question because I think it fits really yeah. well here that they're walking with a swagger that is not from God, right? And so, I, so when they say this, I think they mean it. And by the way, I think you have in your heart, and so do I. There's some malice in us if you can't celebrate a good thing that's happening for your neighbor or or your sibling, right? You know this. You know this. Boy, do I know this, right? That um. Like, I want really good things for my brother, but not better things than for me, right? It's just like there's just something yeah. in me about that. And those are the people that have hurt you or, more importantly, hurt someone you love. Hmm. You, you really wouldn't mind some raining down a fire, particularly if you told them it was the wrong decision and they did it anyway, hmm. and they haven't reaped the consequences for the wrong decision yet. So these guys, Jesus is going, I'm going to keep walking, and they're going to turn their back, and they are angry. Like, you're going back to your pleasure? We left everything, and this is the guy. We think he's the guy. You don't think he's the guy? Right? Yeah. Okay, we need to know he's the guy, so let's actually punish them for doing this. And we're going to say it's because they've done it to God. And so they have all this anger and this vitriol, and you, and this is kind of the understanding of what people think Jesus is, right? There's an old Daniel Tosh joke from one of his early albums. I wouldn't recommend listening to him. I was in college. I didn't know better, right? Um, but he talked about being at the movie, and he was talking about WWJD bracelets and how thankful he is. And he's sitting there at the movie, and as he's watching the movie, these kids in front of him are laughing and throwing Sour Patch Kids at the screen and talking on the phone and going, <laughs> and Daniel's like, I was so angry, and I just wanted to punch him in the face. But then I remembered I had the WWJD bracelet, so I looked at the WWJD bracelet, and I go, what would Jesus do? So what I did is I condemned him and sent him to hell. Like just because that was his understanding of who Jesus is, which is so terrible and not the case. And it's a funny punchline, but really sad. And that's what these guys kind of go. No, no, Jesus came to, came to separate the sheep from the goats. We're sheep, you're goats. Let's, let's bring it. And so when this happens, you go, well, how's Jesus going to respond? Right? Because if he came to offer condemnation, right, which is so important. You even think about the, 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 like the pinnacle scripture that people use and, you know, and, and uh, ball fields or whatever, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever mm-hmm. believes in him will not perish, uh, but have everlasting life. But then in three seventeen he's saying this Nicodemus, for I did not come to condemn the world, right? And so there's just something so important about this that we have to understand that. And in this moment, these guys, they don't understand that, yeah. right? They think Jesus hates all the people they hate, mm-hmm. which is really interesting and something that we kind of got to look in our heart and go, do I believe God likes all the people I like and dislikes all the people I dislike? If so, let me just offer this to you. And perhaps you're not being made in God's image. You're making God in your image, which is the exact same thing the Samaritans were doing. So on both ends, what these guys are doing is the same thing that he was doing. He's going, oh, you're in our tribe. You're in our identity. Come on over here, Jesus. Now rain thunder on that person. Or rain fire. So it's pretty profound because you see the contrast of it literally yeah. happening both ways. Yeah. Right? Now one's still willing to follow him in the middle of their mess yeah. and stumbling through the brokenness, but Jesus is going to offer a rebuke here. Yeah. yeah, so that's what 55 says. And he turned and he rebuked them. Yeah. And then 56, and then they went on to another village. Like yeah. It just seems like a quick story here that yeah. it almost seems like, well, why did Luke include that? Yeah. And I think... It's easy to understand the Samaritan piece. Yeah. But it's not like the second part is like, oh, okay, well, that happened. But you know what's interesting? I had more conversations about that second piece with really? our church family than the first. Like just some real confession of, okay. yep, Josh, I, I want fire to rain down on those people. Mm-hmm. Like just some real anger. Like, and you have it towards all sorts of things, particularly if you have kids and you're wondering how they're being taught right now. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on both sides, what, what science is trying to communicate versus what it's actually communicating. And like... You know, education systems, you know, social systems, all those things. There's just a lot of bitterness and resentment in this. And there are is a line drawn where we go, the best and simplest thing is would you obliterate the other side? Because if you obliterate the other side, then you would prove my side's yeah, right. right. And that's where I just offer that. <laughs> it's funny. I offer all this teaching. And then I go, and Andy Stanley says, and people pull up their pens. Like, okay. And he says, really <laughs> good important. good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? Yeah, right. 
And unfortunately, most of us want to make a point. That's why yeah. we're sarcastic. Yeah. That's why we use those zingers. That's why we use those posts on, uh, you know, Twitter. We are we, you know, share something and put the, you know, the dead skull because we think it's such a clever thing. Like I'm dying because that was such a good shot at the other crowd. And, yeah. and so we got to decide. You want to make a point. You want to make a difference. At this moment, it certainly seemed like James and John wanted to make a point. Yeah. And so Jesus says that he, but he turned and rebuked them. And what's interesting about this is didn't get to co- uh, cover all this. Um, in a lot of manuscripts, not necessarily the, yeah. the earliest ones, that uh, the ESV goes from the NASB, and neither one of them include it. Um, but a lot of versions, I think maybe NIV, definitely like the uh, like the expand like the amplified version. They actually include another piece here, right. because there's some documents that go back 1900 years, 1800 years that they're there. This doesn't contradict the scriptures because yeah. they both kind of prove the same point. It just means. You know, they don't have all the exact same information in them. So a lot of scriptures don't necessarily include it. But there is a little bit more detail that Jesus does offer in terms of the rebuke in, in some uh, some different translations. Yeah, and that is part yeah. of the question of one Absolutely. of our listeners. It says, my question is, can you help me understand what Jesus meant when he told his disciples, you do not know what manner of spirit you are when they wanted to burn some of the Samaritans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so interesting and so terrible. And so, but yeah, so that's really helpful. So he rebukes them, and the reason we get is because you don't know what spirit you are. So, um, so far in the last couple of passages, and what we'll see this in two weeks from now, that the spirit, the word spirit's been used, and it's the word pneuma, meaning breath, yeah. right? And so you go, well, what kind of breath is it, right? Is this God's breath or not? You know, is it bad breath or good breath, right? Like, and so. There are two different ways by which that spirit is described just in the last several passages that we've read or the ones we're going to uh, describe. And sometimes, and I can't tell you the language of it, but I know that the defining piece of it, it's un- uh, that a lot of times there is a um, adjective that says unclean spirit. Okay. So when Jesus says you don't know which spirit you are, they've just seen some spirits. Mm-hmm. He's just called them spirits, but guess what he called them? unclean spirits. Mm. And then after they come back and celebrate all that God does, God, you're so good, you're so good, and he's going to rejoice that they got the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit there, and that their names are written in the uh, Lamb's Book of Life or in heaven. Really important. That's two weeks now. We're going to be really going to need. But what Jesus points to is the really good news about this and what we're going to celebrate is not your work, not what you did, but what was at work in you. What was at work in them? The Holy Spirit. So now when you see this moment when it says not sure which spirit, Spirits you are. You're you're not sure what spirit you're under or what what influence you're under. What he's literally saying is there's a side A and a side B. Mm. Side A is my spirit that is holy, holy, sacred, set apart. There is a spirit that indwells my people to go and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Now, at war with this kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of earth. Well, what kind of spirit do you think indwells the people who want to bring terror and rain? Unpure, unclean impure spirits, right? And so when you see this moment where it says, you're not aware of what spirit you are, you're walking in so much swagger because you saw the Holy Spirit land on me. You're walking in so much swagger because you saw me in all my, you know, glory. But you came back down and what you thought you're clothed in my spirit, you're actually clothed and tempted by and being manipulated by unclean spirits, which leads to kind of a second point that we don't have time to cover, but I'm so thankful that you asked it is that we've gone through this, and I'm going, hey, can you be possessed by yeah. uh, an evil spirit? And I yeah, go, no, you can't. Because the word possessed literally means possession, which means ownership. If mm-hmm. Jesus, has, you've called him Lord, he has set up residence, and you are his. You are marked his. The word sin literally means to forfeit rights. In, in the Hebrew, it actually meant to forfeit land rights. It was a land forfeiture, meaning they were... Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they had the perfect plot to land. Location, location, location. They're in the garden of, of, of Eden, right? Perfect, right? And they sinned. What happens? They forfeited their rights to be in God's kingdom. And so what do they do? They, 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 the garden closes down, and they get sent out. They literally forfeited their rights, right? And so when we go, Jesus, your Lord, guess what happens? Jesus goes, I'm actually going to set up my land back inside you. So now I am the owner of your land. It is my name on your deed. And that, if that's the case, the enemy can't. I put his name on the deed, right? Yeah. And he can't even put a lien on it, right? Like, But what he can do, there's a big difference between spiritual possession and spirit, uh, uh, de- or demonic possession mm. and demonic oppression. 
which is, yes, we all have experienced clouds of darkness and pain and sorrow, and we're seeing them in our world, even for Christians. And so what Jesus, I think, is saying here, it certainly seems to apply, that, hey, what you've done is you've walked in your pride that you think you're special, that you can rain down the stuff. What that pride has actually done is it's actually invited mm. these unclean spirits to influence you, not possess you, but influence mm. you. Really, really important that you see this here. And this is what I love what St. Augustine says. I can't find it anywhere. But I've heard other people quote it this way, that pride is pregnant with all other sins, mm. right? You go all the way back to pride, Satan. And this goes yeah. back to kind of when Jesus rebukes um, uh, Peter, right? Yeah. Like, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, like, so he's saying, you're not, Satan doesn't live in you, but yeah. boy, are you being oppressed and influenced yeah. by it. So I'm, I'm pretty confident, almost. I, don't, I, very, I have very little certainty about most things. But I think what we're doing here is he is... Which he does every now and then. He draws a line and says, and I even told you, there's side A and side B. Side A is Jesus by himself. Side B is the rest of us. So when we go, that guy's really bad. He's just a little bit further on the other end of the circle. But we're all in the same circle. And yeah. there's a big chasm between us and Jesus. And what he came to do is go and make a way. Mm-hmm. But there was no way to invite us back into it. And even as we're being invited into it, boy, are we still influenced by the brokenness of this world. And so every single day you go, oh, man, I missed that one. Yep. You had, you had some influence outside of Christ in your life and it would make sense you got your humanity in you God's now entered his divinity in you and it just feels murky and messy at times and so that would just make sense that you do that but he's going to call it out and he's going to rebuke it that's what he does with James and John yeah I don't know if you want to talk more about this like on Sunday you said that we didn't have time to talk about the deep deep toxic culture that we live in with the inability to forgive I know that we touched on it briefly already I didn't know if there was anything more that you wanted to bring up. I, yeah, I kind of felt like uh, the Lord is going, you'll get with, you'll get the forgiveness in a while. I'm like, okay, okay. I don't even know where. And so I, I haven't even played the tape through. Okay, where does God talk about forgiveness in the book of Luke? I haven't even gone to do it. Okay. But I do think if the tides are going to turn, it's going to turn because of forgiveness. Yeah. And I would say from Christians who are going to be persecuted, made fun of, yeah. you know, all those kind of things. And we're going to, that you might lose some of the things that you thought were right. So maybe, maybe some of you already experienced this. And even with education or all these different things, some things that you thought were just guaranteed things are no longer guaranteed things and thought were understandings that they're not. And we have two responses. We could be angry and bitter or we can forgive, right? And so one of the things that I was reading about was um, what happened in South Africa with Desmond Tutu. And one of the things that he kind of really, what really helped bring healing to a very, very broken, demonic kind of nation as it related to racial injustice, was he brought in what was called the the Ministry of Reconciliation, right? So he ushered in this thing where people were learning to forgive one another, right? Forgive. So not just forgive, like to just wipe the slate clean. And what I mean by forgiveness is you no longer want people to pay the price they actually deserve to pay, right? That's a pretty significant thing. And so that's what reconciliation does. No longer am I going to hold this over you. And so you got that one, and then on the other side, I'm actually seeing pundits talk about this. They're actually using the word balkanization and going, you got to balkanize. And the, where that comes from is from the Balkans, the middle of the Ottoman Empire, where there was so much bitterness and anger that people just kind of separated from the empire. Mm-hmm. And, they, and there was these revolts that were raising up from these people. And it, the term balkanize literally means to get into your own separate groups mm-hmm. and your own separate think tanks and allow that plan of rebuttal mm-hmm. and warfare to come out of the smaller groups at whatever the largest tar- larger target is, right? And so I was kind of looking at the difference between the two of what happened in South Africa and what happened in there. And, and one, it, it went really bad, and there were was massive casualties of death. Hmm. And in the other, there was real reconciliation. Yeah. And so the, the difference between those two is forgiveness. And, and yeah. Tim Keller's put some good thoughts together about this. Perhaps I can share them somehow, but um, put them on the Facebook page. But like he wrote a pretty good article that helps us understand mm-hmm. some of this stuff. But one of the things that he would argue, and I would, I would wholeheartedly agree, is what cancel culture is, is the inability to, to forgive. And yeah. here's what's scary yeah. about that. What happens, particularly Jesus over uh, Jesus, our tribe identity before Jesus, what we do is we s- tend to congregate ourselves to people who think like us, feel like us, and uh, you know, love like we do, uh, seek pleasure. I would offer worship, not necessarily Christ, but worship whatever it is like they do, right? And so they find a group of people that they're fully, fully accepted by, right? And so they're fully accepted, and everybody agrees and all those kind of things. And so when someone outside that group offers a rebuttal to the behavior, like they go, that's not tolerance, that's hate. And so they just, they basically just put up big walls, balkanize themselves into their own little categories. But here's the problem with that what's required of you in your little subculture 
is that you have to always perform based on the expectations of everybody else in your tribe. Mm. And guess what happens the first time that you don't? Yeah. You are canceled. You're canceled, right? You're seeing it all over. You're seeing it in political ideologies. Yeah. You're seeing it in the LGBTQ plus community, right? You're seeing all these things that even like uh, certain lesbians who don't agree with transgender stuff, they're getting kicked out. And there's, yeah. ain't, I mean, there's just these tribes. And the problem is we have all these tribes. And as the tribes, you know, if you perform correctly, you get to stay in the tribe. But the reality is not anyone's always going to perform and be able to stay on the lifeboat long enough. So what happens, it's just you, you attach yourself to a group that unless you live in basically what I would call slavery, you're enslaved to the the group think of the group. What happens if you're if you don't do that, then you're you know, you're you're ostracized from the group, but then where do you go? Right? And so that's where in the church we go, look, we, we don't all think alike. We but we hold to the same tenets. Jesus is Lord. Jesus was risen from the dead and he is our only hope for to experience all that God has for us in the kingdom of heaven on earth and forever, right? But that's, those are things that we hold tightly together, but what we understand is humanity and divinity are at war in us, which means you're gonna mess up. And how we respond to each other in love and in challenge when we mess up is really, really important. And people on the outside are watching in because guess what everybody wants? Everybody wants to be included and accepted. To the point where acceptance means you accept every part of me. and. What I hope the church happens is we accept that we are depraved and broken and that nothing but Jesus can reconcile us and make us whole, which means we're invited into this community that is filled with love and grace and forgiveness. And I believe that forgiveness, I believe that forgiveness is going to be the thing that's going to turn the tides. So for me, I don't think we can politically change everything, right? Now, I think you and I should get in the public sector. I think if you can, like the woodens are, can get in the middle of politics and bring light into darkness. Wholeheartedly agree. But we can't put our hope in legislating morality and change. Yeah. Yeah. We can't. And so, even as we think about abortion, here's what I think. I think eventually that will get resolved. And I think science will resolve it. I really do. I really do think there'll come a day that there'll be no argument that that little life at conception is a life, right? I mean, that's a heartbeat. That's its own separate clump of cells and DNA, right? That little life, right? So science, I certainly pray to do that. And how do we love people along the way and care for people and participate in adoption and orphan care and widow care? We do all those things, right? And then we go, Lord, would you work out the details because me screaming a bullhorn isn't going to fix it. You know what I think is going to fix the church culture is, well, I tell you, I think science could really be involved in, 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 in the resolution of life and being pro-life. I hardly believe forgiveness is what's going to be the most intriguing and inspiring and contagious thing within the church. Right? And I share with you briefly about the Amish community, these folks yeah, who just wrap right. their arms around it. As we wrap our arms around people who have mistreated us and disrespected us, and we understand that the person we worship was the greatest victim yeah. in this world. So I was looking at like our hierarchies and the greatest victim is the one who's honored the most. Then underneath that, the people who are, who bring wrath to the victimizer. That's kind of the category and the victimizer is the one who's ostracized and all of us have been victims, you know, and victim oppressors and victimizers at some category of our life and some kind of level. And so I certainly think it is, is I think forgiveness is gonna be the thing that's gonna help us build a bridge into our community. And so what Andy Stanley says, let me offer another one. If you want to build a bridge, you have to have footings on both sides of the ravine. And so what does that bridge look like? How do we have footings on both sides of the ravine? And I would wholeheartedly argue that bridge, the footings on both sides of the ravine is forgiveness. Yeah. So, yep, well, I thought that's where we were going to teach. Unfortunately, yeah. as we got through the scriptures, as I know, I think God wants us to slay our second okay. things that we made first things. Okay. So, thanks for asking. But yeah, yeah kind of kind of moving on to the, the next part of this. So the uh -huh. next... The heading says uh, the cost of following Jesus, right? And as we go into this, th there, there's almost there seems to be like what Jesus is saying seems kind of harsh, right? Like, mm -hmm. like yeah, dead, bury the dead. Like, oh, okay, don't bury your father. Like, follow mm -hmm. me. So, yeah. uh, and let me just go ahead and read. Um, I don't know. I'll read yeah. a couple of verses. It says, okay. as they were going along the road, someone said to him, "I will follow you wherever you go." Verse fifty-eight, and Jesus said to him. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Like that that's it's like what? Yeah. <laughs> like can you draw that on the board and help me understand what you're saying? Like, like okay, so follow you, don't follow no. you, what is that? What does that mean? Yeah, so here's what's really beautiful, okay? We only get what uh what 
uh, the eyewitnesses decided to right, share right. with. Jeez, uh, I'm noticing uh, that we we're in the middle of uh, a voting day, and there are people down voting looking up here, which is just oh, I'm so thankful for our church. Everything's so neat, but um, but so what we know is Jesus has perfect insight. Yeah. So what we can understand here is that when they went to the village. As they're going along the road, someone. Now, Jesus knows exactly who that someone is. Yeah. And Jesus knows exactly what that someone is struggling with. And so when he says, I'll follow you, Jesus goes, go, go, Jesus brain. And he peers into that person and he goes, oh, no, what it is. That guy's not going to follow me. And the reason he's not going to follow me, let me play the tape forward. It's because he likes his bed. Yeah. Right? Like, he's got a king size. It's plush. He's got the latex pillows. Or if you're, you know, if you're on the right side, the Mr. Pillows, whatever it is, you know. Uh, like, he's got the nice stuff there. I don't, I don't know what you Mr. Pillow. Uh, it's like side. a conservative. Um, Mr. Pillow is a, a neat uh, pillow brand. He's an evangelical Christian. Loves the Lord. Okay. Was like a crack addict and creates this huge company. But the left side really hates him. Loves Trump. So, again, okay. I just was, okay. it was just a, right. a, a joke that. I just I wasn't so I, up to speed on yeah, my yeah, pillows. Yeah, yeah, So I just got to be careful. I, but anyway, so um, so he can peer in and know exactly what this guy's doing. And yeah. you all have it. And you go, I would follow Jesus anywhere, but. Mm. What is your but, right? Unless it's dangerous for my kids. Maybe that's your but. Maybe yeah. it's, yeah. but I really like my pool, right? <laughs> or I really like my 4,000 square feet of house. Or yeah. I really like this climate. Or I like being that close to my family. Yeah. I don't know what your butt is, but this guy had one. And Jesus perfectly can look in and go, I know exactly what this guy is. And it has something to do with, I would even argue that it goes as far as it probably has something to do with the way that he sleeps, you know, and and his home, right? This is a guy who takes real pride yeah. in his refuge, which happens to be his home, which is great. You should have a nice home and you should entertain in it. Jesus went to lots of parties in people's homes, but that's a second thing. But when you make that second thing, the comfort of your fortress, a first thing, then you are in big trouble, right? Because that's where you are going to live in anxiety and pain and fear like this guy probably is because he's going what if I lose that 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 right and so this is what's going on for everybody else going man that wasn't very nice the guy who was on the receiving end knew I promise you knew exactly what he was talking about and he was astonished that Jesus could speak that directly to his situation which is just just brilliant it's brilliant and this is what's so important he's capturing it for us because he knows you he knows that you might also have your fortress as in your comfort as your thing right he knows that about you and so this is timeless but it's also timely meaning jesus loved this dude so much he was able to call it out and what we see throughout the scriptures is jesus oftentimes comforts those who are afflicted yeah and guess what he does he afflicts he brings affliction and uh intrigue and worry and concern sometimes for those who are comfortable, right? Because guess what comfort's become? It's become their second thing that's turned into the first thing. It's become their idol. And guess what? Any idol over Jesus is wrong, and it will disappoint you. And that's where we had to go. How do we use our stuff to do good? Because when we do good, that's when we experience is great. And you all know you want to experience great. And so this guy wants to experience great, and he's already discovered that his fortress isn't where he experiences that. Unfortunately, he thinks it might be Jesus, but Jesus then slays the one thing that he still has over him. So Jesus before comfort is what I think he's communicating. Yeah. And so then the next verse it says, and to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then there's another example. We'll get to the last two verses yeah. in a second. But And you did explain that it's yeah. most likely his father isn't like yeah. he didn't I just die so. because he's there. So imagine if you're like a boss at a work and and you know a person who has used the excuse that I can't be here because I got to go to my grandmother's funeral. Right. Three or four times, right? You just heard word of it and you know or you know his grandmother and know yeah. he's not dead, right? <laughs> or know she's not dead. And when that employee says to him, uh, uh, "Hey boss, I got to take this week off because my grandmother is really sick or yeah. died and I got to go be with her." And he goes, "No, I'm glad your grandma died." Just yeah. like that. Of course, he's not glad the grandma died, but he is kind of calling out this thing. And I don't know if this is, this guy's certainly healthy, and he's like, I'm not so sure. I think I want to do this. This is like raise your hand on a Sunday and fill out the connect cards. And then on Monday, I go, oh, what am I thinking? Right, Whatever that is. And so, which we all make emotional decisions. So that is, that is not a shot in any way. Boy, have I made some emotional decisions that I regret in my life, right? And so, but in this moment, he just goes, let the dead bury the dead. Now, it's so nuanced, and Jesus is so brilliant. So in some ways, he's going, the spiritually dead can handle the new dead right because we're alive and you will never be spiritually dead if you walk with me right so that's okay that like sometimes when he prays he says when you pray like 
ask for big things. Pray like repeatedly. And don't pray about tiny things because even the pagans who don't pray still get their colds fixed, right? Their bunion still can be removed or whatever it is. And so in this moment, he is just, I think, calling out. Now, my guess is if he really loved his dad, one or two, he'd be at his funeral if he was dying. So one, either he doesn't love his dad or the second one is... His dad's nowhere near death. And so that's where yeah. I think it probably points towards this procrastination, yeah. right? Which is just this hesitancy of going. And or excuse, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, excuse. So this is where you only need an ounce of courage to jump yeah. out of an airplane. This is you lean all the way in. And at that moment, he goes, I'll follow you. Oh, oh, wait, first. You know, like we see this. We know this. We even know this when you go through the timeshare speech. And a lot of times you'll go, let me get back to you. Or what you'll say is, let me ask my wife. You don't mean that. You just can't say no to the guy. So you're going to throw your wife under the bus via a text a couple of days later. Right? I've done that. I know. You I've see what I'm saying? And so know. Jesus could speak into this whole thing, and he just knows that this guy is connected to something. No, I might guess is it has more to do with he's waiting for his dad to die. Yeah. Right? And the reason he's waiting for his dad to die is the inheritance comes with that. And it makes yeah. it a lot easier to travel with an entourage if you have an inheritance and you can pay for your own hotel and you have to right. depend on right. Jesus. So what I th- certainly think this is is Jesus is going, I got to be before your security. That's the second thing. Nothing wrong with security. Nothing wrong with a savings account, right? Now I challenge you to go. Can't put away too much for a rainy day when people today are having rainy days, right? Yeah, right. But but at the same time, those aren't bad things. Making good plans. Jesus says, whoever who who built the building without counting the cost, right? You would need to put the money aside to be able to build the building. But the, he, he tells a, a parable of this rich guy who goes, finally today I can eat, drink, and be merry. And he goes, you fool! For today your very life will be taken from you, right? And so you got these things, and so it certainly looks like it's this is a guy who's waiting for his dad to die. And I just would say partial obedience delayed obedience those are not really obedience and jesus is calling that out and so if you hear from god you're supposed to do what he says yeah period not when not maybe someday which is this and this is i hope this is convicting because it certainly convicted me like my whole senior year of high school i was really self-righteous but boy did i have some secret stuff going on in my life and relationships right but I kept saying, well, that's just because I'm a senior. When I get off to college, I'll start going back to church, and I'll get really involved like I was when I was a sophomore or whatever it is. And it didn't really happen that way. And the reality is, if it wasn't in my heart, I wasn't ever going to do it. It just justified that moment of why I couldn't do that. And you and I are really good at justifying the things that we want or justifying the things that we don't want to do. So Yeah. So the last two verses then says yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. It says, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to uh, those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So what, what is that third one there? Um, what yeah, is, I, was, what I, I was looking. Uh, I, I was texting someone yesterday. I want to see if I can find it real quick here. Yes, yeah. Make sure I got the right book. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, a year ago, I was really was processing there. Just, I couldn't remember the name of the book, and I called it uh, Deliverance, and it wasn't. But um a year ago, I mean, I, I think I've shared with you, I was wondering, and I have shared pretty frequently, that, okay, is ministry my long-term strategy or plan? Because it's painful, God. It's painful for me. It's painful for my family. I was um, kind of uh, gravitating towards, you know, our culture that says, feel like a victim, you know, like that victimhood of woe is me, no one understands me, you know, all those things. And that's why I was growing out my hair so I could like, pull it down in front of my face, you know, right? But, um... I'm just, I don't know, that, maybe that was rude. Sorry if you have that haircut. Uh, um, so, uh, but anyway, so as I was thinking through it, like I just felt like I just needed to figure out what God wanted for me. And I just knew it was somewhere deep rooted in my heart of someplace mm-hmm. I made a mistake. And so like I am, like I am digging everywhere I can. And, you know, in the mail shows up a book given to me by someone in our church. I cannot find the notes. I don't know who it was given to. But I was like, okay, I was talking to my counselor, going, I guess I'm going to read this. And she's like, oh, yeah, I know Neil. He's a, a great guy, Neil Lozana, I think is his name. And he wrote a book called, um, it's Neil Lozano, L-O-Z-A-N-O, and it's Unbound, A Practical Guide to Deliverance. And I was like, well, that's creepy because, you know, different kinds of spirits. I'm like, I'm not sure how I feel about all that stuff. But it, but it was really a book on freedom, mm-hmm. right? And about halfway through it, he said something that I felt like the Holy Spirit goes, that's you, Josh. Like, I didn't even finish the book. Because at that point, it was it. And by the yeah. way, I have a long history of that. Like, I don't, I feel zero conviction not to finish a book. I read a book, so I feel like I get the understanding that I want to get, and I get some thoughts out of it and move on. And I remember just spending a lot of time going, that's me. I'm 
just have to be in, introspective. I gotta search every part of my heart, all those kind of things. And so when you read this passage, you go, what is he talking about? Well, at the end, he finally gives an understanding of what the problem is, because at first glance, you wouldn't think this is it. I'll follow you, but let me say farewell to those in my home. That's not bad, you wanna say yeah. that. But, but Jesus looked at it, and he knows exactly what's going on. He's going, if you go back to your home, you're gonna go right back to your past. Hmm. If you go back to your home, you're gonna go right back to that girl. You go back to your home, you can go right back to that bottle. You go back to your home, you can go right back to that same routine, the same hmm. friends, whatever. I'm not saying you shouldn't have friends, like you shouldn't have a girlfriend, none of those things. But you're gonna go attach yourself to the thing that will not bring you any life, and you will think it will. Yeah. Right? And the reason we know this is because Jesus said to them, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom. So he's being very logical here, and he's going, I've set my eyes on Jerusalem. The way by which you plow a row is you look forward and you pull the plow behind you. You look forward and you pull the plow behind you. You don't look backwards and try to figure out where you're going. There's no way you can plow in a straight line or yield the produce you want to yield out of that unless you're looking forward. In other words, your hope for the kingdom is not somewhere in the past. So that is all of us, no matter where you've come from or what you've done or what your experiences, maybe they're good experiences, maybe they were terrible experiences, but at some point you have to pick those up and call them exactly what they are, which is the past, hmm. right? And we have to leave them what we call it, which is in the past, right? And so Jesus is going, the way that you go forward is you, it's really, really simple. You go forward and, hey guys, this is a, you know agrarian society. You know this, this is how you plow. And so I wholeheartedly believe Jesus is going, I have to be greater than your past. Hmm. No, that's twofold. This guy might go, but when I'm, I was the quarterback, like I was all <laughs> celebrating. He's going, nope, right. that is not who you are in me. This yeah. is who you are. Hey, James and John, that is not, you're not just sons of thunder. That's just your dad. But there's a new, you know, plan for you. All this thing. Hey, Peter, you're no longer just a fisher of fish. You're a yeah. fisher of men. So there's always this moment where that changes. So some of these past things might be you holding on to your own traditions, your own things, or looking for that mountaintop experience again. He's going, that is not where you're going to find me right now. You're going to find me when you pick up the plow and get to work. And for many of us, like me, it was the opposite. It wasn't that my past was filled with joy and peace and hope. And I guess it could have been. I mean, I have accolades and a resume and, you know, honors and awards and trophies. But I found no value in that. I just found value in the things that were, or I found pain in the things that were done to me and the things that I did to myself or the things that I did to other people. All those things, right? And as you think about that, like it was just really, really painful. And so when Neil Lozano basically says, look, introspection is not where you're going to find God. I just really remember thinking in the scriptures, David, who had who asked for a clean heart, who God said was a man after his own heart, had the boldness to say, search my heart, oh God. Yeah. Not, God, I'll go search it. I'll be back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go search it. I'll deal with this. I'll go deal with it alone. It's going, can't. Do you trust that Jesus is actually real and his Holy Spirit is available to you? And you don't think the Holy Spirit's capable of revealing the things to you that you need to repent of and the things you need to deal with? You already know what they are. They're right there in front of you. So hear them, own them. I'm sorry, Lord. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, repent and move forward. And I'm convinced that the, the path that our church should be on and where the kingdom exists is as we look forward and carry the plow. And some of you don't want to do that. And I just say, I don't think you're going to experience the kingdom here if you don't. Mm. That's not trying to be mean. I just think there's a time that he's ready for us to go chase after the kingdom. There's lots of work to be done. There's yeah. lots of light to shine in the darkness. But that's not going to happen as we look that way. we got to look yeah. forward. And so what I kind of challenge us with and is Jesus set his eyes towards Jerusalem. I think we should too. Now, what's really neat about that is God's not calling us all to walk down the same path. He says man tries to order a path, but he directs his steps. So I would just say, as you set that new chart, that direction, what's the one step God wants you to take as a community? Get in community. Yeah. If it's to serve, serve. In the next two weeks, we'll give you very clear on-ramps to those things. If it's to go and jump in and volunteer or just walk across the street with some cookies to your neighbor, I don't know what that is, but I know you're not walking backwards. I know it's time to walk forward, right? There, there's, a, there's moments for retreat, right? Strategic retreating makes sense for the sake of advancement. And I would just say the last year, maybe God, when we were in the middle of our pain and confusion, was allowing us to strategically retreat so that we could advance appropriately. And I think it's time to advance. And I think the scriptures would um, imply that. Yeah, I feel like this part of, of the Sunday message really spoke to me, just coming out of a yeah. tough season of foster care, really being introspective, trying to go, yeah. okay, God was teaching me something because he wouldn't have me go through that without learning something. But I think I had put too much of an emphasis on trying to figure that out. Yeah. And I even in that put my eyes on me figuring out what the what the, you know, the, the teaching was yeah. than looking to God to say, okay, Lord, that was, that was a season. I may not understand 
what you were doing, but what's the next season? What is it that you're calling me to? Yeah, so let me finish with this. I mean, I can distill all this down a little bit simpler. So, and I would have this Sunday, just didn't have time. So, so thankful for this. So, I would just encourage you to keep coming back because there are some nuggets here that I didn't feel compelled to share then in terms of time, but do feel compelled to sh- uh, share now. So, we can go Jesus before our tribe or identity, mm-hmm. Jesus before our comfort, Jesus before our um, security, Jesus before our past, right? Yeah. But what we really need to deal with is all those things can kind of all be clumps of one thing, and that's just control. Mm. Jesus before our control. And I would wholeheartedly argue, and this is my experience, that Jesus puts us in situations that are out of our control yeah. to prove that we're not in control. Yeah. Right? That He is. And so maybe it's just that simple for us to go, boy, I felt out of control. And you know why? Like those decisions I made, they were out of control. You know why? Because you're out of control. <laughs> like, literally, you are out of control. And so, wouldn't it be just like Jesus? That the simplest part of this isn't going, here's all the things you got to find in your heart, and here's what your daddy did, and here's what your grandfather did, and here's what your, yeah. that your mommy said, or here's what the teacher said. I'm not against those things. I think they're helpful to form some understanding of why we're trying to find our worth. But is it possible that Jesus can go, the reason you experienced that pain is because you were not in control when you wanted to be. Or you were literally out of control and it felt like someone else was in control. But could you see that I am still in control and I'm still ruling and I'm still reigning and my eyes are still set on Jerusalem and I am just walking that path and I'm not invite I'm inviting you to join me on the path. That's it. The Samaritans could have enjoyed him on the path. These three folks who go, I will follow you. We don't know if they did or not, but I certainly hope they could just enjoy him on the path. You're not in control, but could you enjoy him on the path? And that's just where I am right now. I'm going, I've got to wake up. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what you're going to do at this church. I don't know what you're going to do with our property, but I'm going to enjoy you on the path. We're going for a hike, and Jesus, you're leading it. So let's grab the team, and let's just kind of hike together. So I'd go, why not join us? We're trying to figure this out together. We don't know what we're doing. You know why? Because we're out of control. And that's good news because it just proves that Jesus is in control. Yeah. Or we're all in really big trouble, which <laughs> I don't think we are. So join us. Yeah. Let's submit our plans, our purposes, and just say Jesus is above all, Jesus is before all. Why? Because he really is worth it all. Yeah. And that's what I got for you. Well, that is pretty much all the time that we have. I want to say thank you so much if you're tuning in, whether you're watching this live. Um, looks like we've got a couple people there. Or if you catch this later on or watch it, thanks so much. We really hope that you were challenged and encouraged. As always, we like to encourage you, if you have any questions regarding this past week, upcoming weeks, or just questions in general, feel free to let us know what those are. We love when you help us kind of produce what these yeah, Overtime absolutely. podcasts look like. So email us, Overtime at CLC. Uh, overtime at clcfamily.church or you can just text us 610-869-2140. So thanks so much. Have a great week and we hope to see you next week.